0: Hello, I'm John Eldridge, and welcome to the Ransomed Heart audio podcast. For more information on Ransomed Heart Ministries, our resources, and events, please visit us online at www.ransomedheart.com. Welcome back to the Ransomed Heart podcast. John Eldridge here with Craig McConnell And we are in the middle of a series that we're doing on the power of interpretation. Just how crucial right interpretation is of our life, of our world, of our external experiences, the events happening, and and of our internal world as well. Last night, Craig and I and the guys here on staff went and saw the movie Lone Survivor based on the true story of the Navy SEALs that were killed in Afghanistan several years ago. And we'd all read the book and we're looking forward to the movie. Afterwards, coming out of the movie, we simply had to debrief. We just couldn't walk out of something so sobering, powerful, disruptive as a story like that in which there is one survivor, lone survivor. So I'm not giving the movie away by telling you that everybody else gets killed. And slowly, brutally, you know, in the the course of combat, heroically, bravely, um, lovingly toward brother to brother. But, man, we had to go sit down together and talk because of the the need for interpretation.
1: Yeah, John. What was going on with you as you... We're in the theater, credits rolling, and we get up and walk out.
0: I was so powerfully struck by, in the face of war and what war is actually like, and appreciated Marcus Luttrell, the the survivor and, and author of the book, said it recently in an interview: "War is hell. There's nothing romantic about mm-hmm. it. Looking at the brutality, the suffering." the consequences to families communities i was so powerfully hit with if you don't have the restoration of all things you leave a movie like that just wasted just devastated i mean where do you put your hope what do you look to for redemption you know and so for me it was just immediately in my experience of watching the movie it's like man For me, it made the power of the gospel shine all the more. Mm -hmm. What about you? Uh, Well,
1: what was interesting, John, was in this movie, whereas in past violent films, I may have missed this, I really was grasping to moments of beauty. There's a young boy in the movie, Innocent, just this cute young boy. And I just latched on to him. There was a comment uh, made uh, as they were rescuing Luttrell that uh, he's going to be safe. He's going home. And that just, ah, it just hit me. That's the restoration of all things. Mm. So those were in place, but the, the impact, the weight, the sound, the violence of the noise of the movie and the sound of the combat just was so disruptive as I was walking out. I, it was hard for me to go into the lobby. I, I ducked into the bathroom and right. got a toilet stall just to have some moments to myself. Just kind of remind myself, where am I? What's true? What's going on?
0: And to kind of gather myself. Yep. It was very disruptive. Yeah. Again, without, without an interpretive grid, man, life is
1: devastating. If you don't bring an interpretive groove to that movie that says the restoration of all things, that all things will be restored, that we are in act three, act four is yet to come. You walk out with just life is just battle, just war, just death and, and the chaos and the questioning of the character of God. And what is the point of all
0: this? Right, right. But a great movie. Yeah, which brings us to today, friends, in our interpretive series, we began just kind of with the power of interpretation and the cost of wrongly interpreting things. And then last time we talked about the need for some interpretive tools for your own internal chaos, whether those are young places that need attention, sin that needs renouncing, warfare coming against you you know the different unfinished emotional business that you know that the help that we need for interpretation simply of our own internal world what we want to do now is turn toward god and interpreting god in our lives and i think particularly this will probably take us several <laughs> sessions but how do you interpret God in your life? How are you yes. interpreting God in your life? Craig and I had a really powerful time of prayer for a friend a few weeks ago. And kind of the gist of the story, um, automobile accident, he was the driver, best friend is killed. What do you do with that? Mm-hmm. What do you do with that? And. Again, like you are bringing an interpretive grid to the world. You are interpreting your life. It's where all your emotions come from. Your emotions come from the interpretation that you're bringing to experience and God and life. And so you are interpreting, but, oh, the the cost of, of wrongly interpreting. Nowhere is this more evident, frequent, common, and costly than God, mm-hmm. don't you think? Yes, John. It's people confused about... What God's up to, and why He's not answering this prayer, or why He seems silent, or you know, don't you think that that's is the maybe the number one source of?
1: You certainly read the Psalms, and you see David just over and over. I mean, just one Psalm, Psalm eighty three. David cries out, "Oh God, do not remain silent. Do not turn a deaf ear. Do not stand aloof. Oh God." See how your enemies growl, how your foes rear their heads with cunning. They conspire against your people. They plot against those you cherish. But David, like us, faces these seasons and these times and circumstances where it seems like God is either distant or silent. And every one of us Um, goes through some season in life, that we need help interpreting it. We can't understand everything all the time. Yeah,
0: exactly. What I thought you were going to quote was Psalm 73, which I know is one of your favorites. And Mm -hmm. it's Asaph writing this psalm. And he says, yeah, God is good. God is good. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. And the reason why is he goes on to talk about, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Yeah. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the burdens common to man, and pride is their necklace, and they clothe themselves with violence, and their hearts are callous, and, you know, their arrogance against God. And and then he says, man, I've kept my heart pure in vain, yes. right? All day long, I've been plagued. I'm punished every morning. And he says in verse 16, when I tried to understand this, it was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood. Mm -hmm. Like struggling with life, what looks like so much injustice. God, how can you tolerate this? And then somehow in his experience encountering God, and of course, it's the story of Job in some ways. Let me give an immediate example of this. Every year around January 1st, I like to take some time and consecrate the year to God, consecrate my calendar, because it feels like if I don't do that, it just gets filled with all kinds of things that I don't know God was in. So like a consecration of the year and consecrating my calendar. And then what I've come to really love and appreciate is to ask God for words over the year, kind of like advance words for the year or like a theme for the year. And a number of years ago, one of the themes was restoration. And that was the year of my sabbatical. It was a year of restoration. and, And then the year after that, one of the theme words was love. And it was a year where I needed to exercise love more than I ever had and clinging to that. So having some words to hold on to. So I was looking forward to it this last January 1st and 2014, and God was silent. And I was kind of warming up to it several days beforehand. I was already praying and asking, speak, Lord, you know, what's coming up? What's this coming year about? And nothing, just silence. And then, you know, when I did have New Year's Day, it tends to be a quiet day around our house. And so took my journal, you know, went away and prayed and scripture and read a little bit and god hmm. silence nothing and that was just so disappointing and frustrating and, and you go so many places with that silence you know i'm the idiot i'm not spiritual i'm not connected to god or you know doggone it god why do you play hard to get hmm. and you know where are you in this like we got enough battles you know, don't be distant for heaven's sakes, don't, right? Like, come on, you're in this, I'm in this, we're together. We're, you know what I'm talking about? Yes, like, yeah. the interpretations begin to sort of landslide. It's kind of yeah. like an avalanche of interpretations. I'm the idiot, God is distant, I'm not spiritual, God's not speaking, you know, all that. I caught myself in the midst of the the avalanche and just said, God, what? what do you want to talk about? If you don't want to talk about What I'm asking you, what do you want to talk about? And instantly he spoke, and he said, your fear of me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it was like, oh, my goodness. Yes, of course. I recognize it. I admit it. It's actually being exposed in this very moment. It's being exposed in, oh, I'm not going to hear from God. You know, this is going to be messy. It's going to be hard. Like, my fear of him or of things not going well with him was immediately exposed in the silence. And God's like, that's what I want to speak to. And then the next 20 minutes of prayer were incredibly rich, inviting Christ into that. Jesus, heal this. Heal my fear of you. So yeah. powerful experience of misinterpretation and inviting Christ into it Yeah, when God seemed silent yeah i think um it
1: has to be just predominant that we misinterpret god in our lives for most people i'm not sure all the reasons why but it just seems so common you you look through scripture whether it's job and his counselors interpretation is right. that bad things have happened because you've done bad things and there's this this quick equation of uh, bad things only happen to bad people, and so you know, own your sin. And so, I totally misinterpreted, and we're counseling Job falsely. His his wife, you know, curse God and die. Mm. That's her interpretation. Mm, is right. There's no hope. Yeah, just ended. Right. In most people's interpretation, as you put it, John, I think slanders the character of God. And goes to diminishment, shame, and contempt.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. Accusation against yourself, an accusation against God in those periods that feel distant, silent, that kind of thing. I want to try it like we've done in the previous categories. I want to try and offer some categories to think in as you are interpreting things about God in your life that you're just not getting right now. And, friends, I have got to say the very first one is, are you keeping in mind that your relationship with God is opposed? Mm-hmm. Oswald Chambers says that the single most important thing is to maintain vital union with Jesus Christ. Like, that's it. That is your number one task every single day. Why? Because everything else that you want flows from that. You know, whether it's the strength to undergo a difficult trial or the joy to experience friends or family, the life that you need, the healing, the restoration, the clarity, (laughs) the counsel, the direction. I mean, everything else you need, everything else I need flows from our vital union with Jesus. He's the vine. We are branches. We literally have no life apart from that vital union. And so can you follow then that that's going to be the number one thing that is attacked?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's good. This is so crucial for people to understand your intimacy with God is the number one thing the enemy hates and is trying to undermine constantly. Mm-hmm. questioning God, making him feel distant. Now, I'm not saying those are the only categories. We'll get to a few others, but my goodness, keep in mind the naivete sometimes of my own life. I'm just blown away where you know I'm praying and there's unanswered prayer. Or I'm trying to find God and I can't find him or I set aside some time to be with God and it gets stolen or, and my first reaction is, God? Like, come on! Like, I'm blaming him or go to, I'm not spiritual enough, I'm blind, yeah. you know, versus why isn't my first reaction, wait a second, this is the number one thing in my life and it's the number one thing the enemy set against. Why isn't my first reaction, okay, okay, something's attacking here, something's in the way. Let's deal with that first so that then we can deal with the other things. Why do we just leave that out?
1: So one of your responses, John, in those seasons is to be aware of that there may not be a silence. There may not be a breach. God may not be silent. There's static. There's something giving that impression or interfering
0: or interrupting. If that isn't part Mm -hmm. of your interpretive grid, how are you going to protect your relationship with God? Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. know, it's that naivete that most people live with in the world, that not just with regards to God, with regards to their own life of Everything should be going well. The basic storyline is happiness. So when it doesn't happen, I'm just blown away. I'm taken out. I'm discouraged. I'm disheartened. When you go, oh, wait a second. You actually live in a savage war. Yeah. Why are you surprised by this? Yeah. Power and the cost of misinterpretation. So, yeah. I mean, friends, just number one. <sighs> if your relationship with god is the most precious valuable crucial thing in your life from which everything else flows upon which everything else depends can we can we just put out there as one category my goodness as you're interpreting god in your life and your relationship with him you have to bring to bear on that the enemy hates your relationship with god mm-hmm. And is trying to foul it in some way. Hmm. Heads up. Like, let that be one category that you're thinking in.
1: Yeah. God pauses in his conversational intimacy with you and the devil's all, see, he doesn't talk to you. He's quiet. He doesn't care. (laughs) He doesn't exist. Right. It doesn't matter. Right.
0: Or God is silent because, like, that morning he was after something else in my life, and immediately the accusations come in. See, you can't hear from God. Mm -hmm. This isn't going to go well. He's not speaking. There's something wrong. You know, just boom. You know, so bringing the work of Christ against the fowler, bringing the Mm -hmm. cross of Christ against the way the enemy is trying to mess with your relationship with God. I mean, at least let that be one of your Mm -hmm. Key interpretive pieces. Yeah,
1: yeah. One, I have, John, and so many of these are probably going to overlap a bit Is just uh, part of the grid for interpreting God's work and his involvement or silence in your life has to be, do I really know his heart, that it's good, it's for me? I mean, there is a difference between the enemy's character, heart, and actions, and God's And when God goes silent, one of my categories is, okay, okay, okay. He is good. He is a father. He loves me. He has my best in mind. That's unwavering. Mm. I don't understand this. Mm. I don't know where this is going or how it's going to get there. I don't know if I ever will, but the one unassailable point that I'm going to wrestle to cling to Mm. is that his heart is for me. It's good. He's not... He's not looking to blow up my life like Sodom and Gomorrah. He's not just looking for something to make me suffer or feel the
0: separation,
1: alienation from him. Mm. His heart is good. Mm.
0: That's huge. That's huge. I've begun in my journal listing some key truths that I have to hang on to every day. And the very first one is I'm loved. Yes, God loves me. I will interpret everything beginning with that. You have to cling to that because it's true. And if you don't cling to that, oh, my goodness, all of the misinterpretation that's going to rush in. Here's another one. And all this is so tied together. He loves you so much that your transformation is more important than your happiness. Mm-hmm. And gang, gang. <laughs> This is going to expose every single one of us. We honestly believe that our happiness is the number one concern of ours and of God's, or at least it ought to be. Notice your reaction Mm -hmm. with disappointment. Notice your reaction when things don't go well. You just get so pissed, angry, resentful, hurt. Where's God in this? How come he didn't come through? That meant so much to me. You know, and just to pause and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. God is utterly committed to your happiness. But until your restoration is well underway, you can't experience the kind of happiness that God has for you. And so, you know, while you're clinging to idols in your life, while you're still rooted in fear, While you're still operating out of deep woundedness, God's not going to let that stuff go unaddressed. Mm -hmm. And so I just want him to help me get a raise. I just want him to help me get pregnant. I just want him to help me find a job. I just want him to get my kids in line. And God's like, we're going to get to that. Hang on. But there are more important issues here, like the fear that you operate out of, the woundedness that you operate out of. And so allowing for interpretation that God may be after something in your life through the silence Mm -hmm. or through what seems like the distance, you know, or we're going to get into suffering in a session or two here, so not quite yet, but in our pain also as well. I mean, what's God after? And we're just shocked, angry. We feel betrayed that he's not primarily after our happiness. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, John, on that thought, I just i am going back to a couple of years ago, leaving Southern California after a nice vacation. And on this vacation, I had told my children that I had been diagnosed with cancer. And it was a hard time, good time with family, but just hard to share that and then hard to – just face the ache, the pain, the fear, the grief, and anxiety of the family, where would this cancer thing take me? And as we were driving out of Los Angeles, having had this rich time of family, I was just overcome with grief. And we were driving, I am just wailing and just deep crying, and and it didn't stop in three or four or five or ten minutes, it just kept pouring out, and it was... 20, 30, 40 minutes later it was like, Lord what is going on? And God just asked a couple of questions and the short story is he asked me, Craig, if you were to die sooner than you'd want sooner than your family would want would I take care of your kids? Would I be there? Would I be enough for your daughters your grandchildren? It took 10, 15 minutes of just crying and just thinking that through. And I realized that the real answer was, no, you wouldn't be enough, God. That not having me at future births and high school graduations and weddings and not having me at in the family engaged in the day-to-day living would cripple my children, cripple my wife, oh, of course they'd get along, a of course God would be there, but they'd be severely handicapped, and uh, I just realized that, oh, my gosh, I really don't believe God's enough for my kids. Then the next question came immediately, and, and I realized that if God's not enough for my family, then I, I realized how I just don't believe he's really enough for me. Right. And I was just confronted with, ah, you know, I need to know God in deeper and profound ways. And it was like this was the beginning of cancer, God giving me an interpretation that, yes, cancer sucks. It's not God. God isn't authoring it, planning it, imposing it upon me. But yet somehow in this and with it and despite it, This was the beginning of how cancer, for me, was the beginning of something really redemptive and God using it. And I immediately saw his hand in surfacing areas of my life where I didn't know him as father and I was relating and living as a man who didn't know God deeply as a father I could trust. So the interpretation, the grief the um, what's going on here? It felt like the interpretation he gave me was I want to take you into deep fathering and this grief and this pain and all these fears I've got to go after. Yes. What surfaces them is the cancer? And I like, whoa,
0: I'm not making any agreement with cancer. I do see how you're using this. Yes, and I want that kind of healing God. Oh, I want you to come and heal those unaddressed, unfathered, you know, orphaned places in me. I hate the current circumstances. But friends, what we're saying is before you jump to conclusions in your relationship with God or with what he's doing in your life or in the world or in the lives of others that you love, pause and ask. Seek his interpretation. God, what are you up to? You know, for me, the simple moment of why are you silent? Yes. Well, John, I want to speak to your fear of me. <gasps> oh, my goodness. That's huge. Yes. Come into that. You know, here you're experiencing all these emotions, which goes back to our thoughts on interpreting your internal world. Pause. God, what is this about? God's saying, oh, I'm, I'm going after your profound fatherlessness. Right. And so Pause. And ask, ask God to interpret what's going on. And we're going to pick this up next time because there's some really good things still to say about this. You've been listening to the Ransomed Heart podcast. I'm John Eldridge with Craig McConnell. Invite you to join us and you can listen into our podcast on the Ransomed Heart app. So wherever you are on your smartphone or your pad, you can just. Listen to the podcast there as well. So thanks for being with us. That was good. Huge.